Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media and your host for the Housing News Podcast. Today, we're back for episode three of the Secondary Market Masterclass, our four-part series focused on all things capital markets. Today's conversation is focused in on some really important topics, including the structure and responsibilities of the capital markets team inside of a mortgage bank, liquidity, nimbleness, investor relationships, and education for loan originators and realtor partners. Our experts for today's conversation include Caroline Payne, co-head of capital markets at Movement Mortgage, and Greg Richardson, EVP of capital markets at Premise Mortgage. This masterclass series is brought to you and produced in partnership with Polly. A big thank you to our partners at Polly for helping make this masterclass possible. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. This masterclass series is brought to you by Polly. Polly operates the industry's only vertically integrated capital market solution, adding demonstrable value from rate lock through loan sale and delivery. Built in the cloud for the cloud, Polly automates and optimizes the entire capital markets value chain, helping lenders of all types and sizes proactively scale their mortgage operations. Capital markets leaders demand flexible and highly configurable technology solutions. And Polly delivers. To learn more about Polly, check out Polly.io. All right, we're kicking off episode three of our four part masterclass series focused on capital markets in the mortgage industry. And I feel like I kind of get to bring the gang back together on this one. So our, our two guests for today's episode are Caroline Payne, the co-head of capital markets at Movement Mortgage, and Greg Richardson, EVP of capital markets at Premise Mortgage. Greg, Caroline, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, Caroline, I want to kick off with you. I'd love to learn more about your role as co-head of capital markets. And we we talked in advance, and I know the role varies quite a bit across organizations. So I want to hear about what you do as the co-head of capital markets at Movement. Yeah. So my primary responsibilities, well, my team's responsibilities are anything kind of related to a lot of the operational or the words aspects of the capital markets uh, function. So my team manages um, the product development function, investor relations, contract finance work. Um, We also manage lock desk functions, our product and pricing engine administration, credit risk, quality control, which is not a typical capital markets function, but I've got a great person who, um, who is responsible for that. And she's with me. Um, and I also am responsible for our servicing group, even though we do uh, leverage a subservicer, um, we oversee kind of the customer service function and the administration of that. So. All right. So uh, QC and servicing inside of the, the capital markets group. Now, so those are the two that would kind of jump out to me as something that, that might vary in different organizations. Am I right there? Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's... Um, well, I mean, I would say servicing in some places would kind of fall under the secondary um, realm. I think uh, QC is probably a little unique. That, what's unique about movement or at least the the leaders at movement that make this kind of a, a logical structure for the capital markets group in your organization? Well, I mean, honestly, I think it's because the person uh, that is responsible for this had the expertise, but she has leveraged so heavily um 
for other things that really do impact the capital market space that, you know, it just felt good to have her kind of continue in um, this arena. But, you know, definitely has a lot of interaction with our operations and um, some other areas within our group. Uh, it's 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 not like a complete solid line there. She's probably got some dotted kind of functions to some other folks within our organization. And Caroline, you shared that this isn't your first stop in, in capital markets and that you and Greg, we're going to get to Greg's background in a second, but you and Greg initially crossed paths at, at First Union. So tell us about kind of the the career path that has led you to this leadership role in, in capital markets. Yes. So I actually, I actually started my career as a loan officer, what was then called NCNB. Bank of America now. Um, did that for about eight months and came across a guy who ran a, a loan officer group within First Union. Um, and I, I would, I would chase him at the YMCA, running around the track, begging him for a job, and he finally relented. Um, so I, I joined First Union. Um, actually, did a really solid job as a loan officer. Was in the President's Club within my first year, kind of achieved several different managerial roles. But, you know, the thing that always intrigued me was capital markets. You know, I would see Greg and C.D. Davies and some other folks that are kind of known names in the industry, and I'd see what they're doing. I was like, that's cool. I've got to learn this. So, um, again, kind of put on that, that little begging face and said, you know, you guys have got to find a spot for me. And they did and uh, never left. So I was with First Union and Capital Markets um, and then kind of stayed there probably through, you know, the, the merger with, uh, Wachovia and then ultimately Wells Fargo. So I, it's in my blood. I can never leave it. What, so you starting on the depository side, are there any major differences between capital markets function inside of a depository lender, like first union and, and later Wells Fargo versus what you are responsible for and have to lead at movement, a independent mortgage bank? Yes, it's very different. Um, you know, I will tell you, um, one of the things that I enjoy most about being with an IMB that's different from a bank is it's still has that very entrepreneurial feel. Um, you know, while I loved the banks that I worked for, you know, it was very bureaucratic. Um, and this is just, it's just such a, you, you feel like you have much more of an opportunity to be creative and be nimble. Um, what I miss about a bank is having a balance sheet. Um, and, you know, obviously funding sources are a little different because you're funded through bank deposits as opposed to securing warehouse lines. So, but I would say the thing that is missed the most is having access to a balance sheet where you have opportunities to uh, create programs for your loan officer community that may be below market rate or may have some, you know, unique um, qualifying advantages that are hard to achieve uh, when you're selling all of the assets. Interesting. I want to come back and and hear a little bit more about creative ways that mortgage banks are able to innovate around products and the type of partnerships that that requires. But I do want to give Greg a, a little bit of airtime here in the beginning. Greg, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Clayton. Glad to be here. And I have to tell you, first of all, I know the guy that Caroline was running around the track. The reality was Caroline was lapping him around the track. <laughs> I said, I got to go hire this young lady. <laughs> I've run with Caroline. She can run pretty quickly. I, I'm uh, I've lived in Charlotte for a short amount of time, and I'm envisioning this experience at the Y. It's a very Charlotte thing that <laughs> trying to get a job at the Y. I like that. Um, so, Greg, let's let's talk about the role that that you are in today. And I know that you and Caroline, your paths have um, have mirrored each other over the the course of your careers. Uh, but today, you are leading capital markets or um, secondary markets at a, at a new mortgage lender. So tell us about this role that you are in. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm blessed to have Caroline in my life. I can never be where I am without Caroline. She's my sidekick. And we've we've learned a lot together over the years in this industry, good, bad, or indifferent. But at the end of the day, we've had a lot of fun in what we do. And you know, I'm, I'm really having a lot of fun in what I do now today. So to answer your question, Clay, I'm an EVP capital markets, a little bit different than Caroline. We are much more I guess the traditional capital markets were very small. And I like to say we're an IMBA, IMB subsidiary of bank. Uh, we, as Caroline said, we have the ability to be nimble and creative kind of inside a bank, which is kind of unique. And so uh, from my perspective, I run capital markets. I have one other fellow who works for me and, you know, we do everything capital markets, what from trading to locking loans to, you know, hedging interest rate risk and, and developing products 
you were a small firm, you know, growing quickly. And so we leverage a lot of infrastructure and capacity to get things done. Um, and so it's, it's really been, it's a unique opportunity. You know, the president of the bank, Primus Bank's name's uh, Dennis Zimber, and they had no origination capability. He bought this mortgage company called C-Trust Mortgage about a year ago now. And um, with the whole eyesight on, hey, how do we become, you know, from a $300 million originator to a $10 billion originator in, in a quick but smart way? And so we're, we're creating, you know, we're creating this mortgage company and growing rather rapidly. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, that's really interesting that you're building kind of within a depository right on the back of a, of a recent acquisition. Was it the acquisition that attracted you to the premise organization? Yeah, it really was. Well, it was a combination of the CEO of the mortgage company, uh, John Owens, and, and really Dennis. The two of them, just serial entrepreneurs. Dennis, just a quick background on him. He grew Maris Bank from 2009 to 2019 from a billion-dollar bank to $20 billion bank. And he has the same vision uh, for premise, uh, to grow that bank. And, and really the success behind growing Ameris was really all around growing and building a mortgage company. So we're, 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 we're effectively replicating that here at, at premise. And so, you know, we've, we've, for our perspective, I like to say we've had some pretty good hyper growth in a rate, rate environment where you wouldn't think you'd have any growth, quite frankly. And you know, we'll, we're, we're going to be a three multiple of what we originated last year, which we're super excited about. It's not easy. Every day is a challenge. Carolyn will tell you whether you're working at a bigger, larger originator like Movement Creative or you're a small, small firm growing fast. It's really the challenge is to leverage liquidity in the capital markets, but also, you know, you have to mitigate risk there. But it's also having an eye on expenses. I mean, you can't not make money if you are not smart and tech savvy and nimble in how you manage expenses. Um, you, can cre- you can create revenue, but you can't create revenue in excess of expenses if you're not smart about it. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So um, I, I want to go a, a little bit deeper on what you mentioned, Greg, about like the the function of being EVP of capital markets at premise as being a very like traditional capital markets function. And I've heard a little bit about Caroline's role and the way she leads her team. But I, I guess I don't fully grasp like what's traditional and what's non-traditional. So can you give us a little bit of a deeper glimpse into into like into how you interpret that? <laughs> well, I've been doing this capital markets craziness for over 30 years. And, and Caroline knows this. I'm up at 4.30 in the morning every morning. It doesn't matter whether I'm 20 years old or something in the 50s now. But <laughs> I, still, I still have a lot of energy. I have a passion. I know I share the passion about capital markets that Caroline does. And we just want to be successful. And what that means at premise is you know, getting up. We have a risk management system. We look at risk reports. It's a lot, little bit more tech savvy now than it was many years ago. But we're, So it's all online, real-time trading, et cetera. And we kind of set our day understanding our risk. We put we get our pricing a little bit different than movement. We're a small origination originator. So we leverage pricing from traditional aggregators, like you know, called Penny Mac and Marihome as, as an example, but also have relationships with Fannie Mae through Cash Window and, and some MSRs. And so managing those relationships – uh, for me, it's really been, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. I have a lot of a lot of relationships around the capital markets and around the mortgage space and, and having the ability, quite frankly, to, to know I can call a trusted friend and partner uh, to help us build this business is, has really been kind of a game changer for us as we as we grow this business. And really, honestly, the, the key component, I'm sure Kellen will agree with this, is right now, liquidity is paramount, whether you're sourcing warehouse funds or you're sourcing liquidity in the sell of your assets, whoever you are, your greatest risk is lack of liquidity. And so um, I spent a lot of my time uh, in a kind of a traditional capital market role understanding liquidity. I don't have to worry about the warehouse side of the equation because I am a subsidiary bank. Um, so that is a benefit. But many other things I have to think about throughout the day, including working really with loan officers every day. Caroline probably does as well, but probably not quite as much as I do. And it's locking loans. It's talking to investors. It's one-off loan situation. We're small enough now to be able to have one-off loan conversations. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we're doing that today, but we need to scale this for where we want to be tomorrow. So how do we leverage technology, origination systems, PPEs, robotics? Those kind of things are really helping us. Um, you know, I talked a little about expense and just managed expenses. It really is a really challenging expense environment and just how we, how we think through that throughout the day. So I, I really work a lot of my time on traditional trading, pricing, loan management, investor development, 
and it's me and one other person and one other individual on the credit side that kind of do that together to manage that capital markets fund. That, that to, to me is the more traditional capital markets. You know, Carol, I mentioned, you know, QC and credit and some of those other things. That's, that's really, that's, that's unique to Caroline and what they do. It's not, but that's not what we do. We're focused on understanding rate risk. Uh, credit risk and just monetizing. Greg, so how big is the capital markets team that that you're leading today? Like, and and how like many how are people divided out in their focus of like lock versus liquidity? Well, I'll get the other fellow on the phone if you want me to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally it's two of us on the capital market side, uh, quite frankly. Yeah, and so, but you know, we're we're you know we in these days, you know, I couldn't do it with just two him and I, quite frankly two or three years, technology's changed. I mean, just we've had, it gives us the ability to be a lot more nimble. We leverage our hedge advisor. We let, we leverage them not only for the technology interest rate risk, but some advisory services as well, which allows me to kind of expand my capacity by leveraging them uh, versus going out and hiring more infrastructure. Now, the reality is longer term, you know, we sell, like I said, to aggregators a cash window. We're eventually going to securitize. That's not today. That's a plan that might be three to four years forward. But, you know, I have always got an eye. I'm fortunate enough to work with very large mortgage originators and, and Caroline and, and folks like that. So I know what it takes to scale to be there. And so everything I'm doing today has a focus on where we want to go tomorrow. So Caroline, you walked us through the different responsibilities uh, of your department. What? How many people do you have inside of your capital markets division and how are they divided up amongst different functions? Well, I, I would say in more of the traditional capital markets function, and I will include my co-heads group as well, and he manages trading, hedging, um, and um, loan delivery functions. Um, but it, just the traditional capital markets functions are probably around 65 to 70 folks. Um, when you expand it out and you include our kind of our QC team and our servicing group are probably upwards of around 160. Um, and, you know, and a you know, I just we've got a lot of folks that are kind of doing a lot of analyst functions there. But the core, the core group within the capital markets group, you know, we, we have a lot of loan officers that we're supporting, and um, you know, we have a pretty large lock desk function. We have, you know, a number of folks in our product development team. You've got to always bring shiny new toys to your loan officer community. Um, we've got a number of folks in our contract finance and investor development relations functions, and they're you know going out and helping find new investors for liquidity options, whether that's loan buyers or MSR buyers, et cetera. Um, and so there's probably you know a handful of folks there. So we manage my relations. There's there's so many different things, but I mean it it. Greg knows because he was here with me at Movement when we joined together and, you know, Movement was a much smaller entity at the time. And he and I, you know, kind of came in and said, OK, let's take this to the next level. And we, we basically saw volume double was in that first year. And so, you know, I think, you know, we've just had a lot of experience in this industry. And to Greg's point, you know, we have a lot of relationships in the industry. We know who to reach out to for, you know, potential investor liquidity options, but also who are those vendors that you need to help support you and make you successful? Who are those um, consulting and advisory services that can help you, you know, beef up liquidity where you need it? So I think that answers the question, I hope. Yeah, it does. Let's go a little deeper on liquidity though. I saw your I saw your head really nod when when Greg mentioned liquidity as a, a primary function and concern. And you just you just mentioned how your team is supporting liquidity in a few different ways. But let's um you know start at the base level. Like we are we are teaching this masterclass for the mortgage industry from start to finish, from agents and originators up to up to the executive ranks. So what does it mean for an independent mortgage bank to have access to liquidity? And what are the different routes for liquidity? Well, there's different kind of forms of liquidity. So maybe we'll start with kind of the the, the, the fundamental like product and being able to find places to, to you know, deliver that product to investors who can price that product at a in such a way and offer eligibility that that makes it compelling for the loan officer to sell. I mean, let's face it, nobody's here unless the loan officer has something good to sell, right? And so that volume is kind of what gets you there. So, you know, most people, of course, you know, that the bread and butter of what you do is going to typically be, you know, through the agencies, Fannie, Freddie, Janie, um, you know, or folks who may be smaller that may be selling to aggregators that, you know, can can buy and large um large volumes and then they will in turn deliver to the agencies. Um, you know, but there's also, you know, this need for kind of, 
your kind of niche opportunities, whether it's, you know, HFA bond programs to support a lot of the underserved communities in our markets that have down payment assistance, or whether it's, you know, bank investor portfolios that are looking for, say, arms. We're not necessarily in an, in a, an arm market, but there may be some investors that may have a need for that that's, you know, short duration asset and gives that, that loan officer that new um, opportunity and product to sell. Um, you know, there's there's liquidity on the servicing front. You know, you may you may opt as a as an originator to retain servicing, or you may want to sell, or you may want to have the nimbleness to to be able to pivot. And that's what's so I think important in this market. Um, you know, it's it's been a tough market for the last year, and making sure that you have the ability to kind of pivot whenever needed. To, to, to raise capital if you need it, to sell MSRs if you need to, or to retain them. Um, you know, and then of course, you know, not being part of a bank, you know, making sure that you have warehouse, warehouse liquidity just to fund your, um, your operating expenses. So, you know, that's, but that's just typical for a, for a uh, independent mortgage bank. All right. Excellent. Greg, anything you want to add there? Uh, no, I mean, Caroline's right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's honestly the, the greater breadth of, I'll call it investor liquidity, just helps you manage through. You need, Caroline, our, our real job here is to manage risk and mitigate risk. And so the, the easiest way to do that is by, have, by having broader, deeper relationships, whether it's around a loan, Caroline mentioned the servicing, you know, warehouse capabilities, et cetera. Um, things go wrong really fast if you don't have liquidity. We, we saw that if you don't go back to the beginning of COVID. I mean, unfortunately, you saw a lot of investors that were there literally one day and gone the next. And you have borrowers who want to close a loan and you have no liquidity. That's not a really good client relationship, right? So it's just a challenge. But I think, you know, Caroline said something there kind of implicitly. I want to make sure that your listeners understand that, you know, whether I'm a smaller mortgage originator with direct sellability to the agencies or aggregators, the reality is the derivative of what everyone is pricing to is effectively the same thing. We all look at Fannie, Freddie, and Ginnie Mae MBS. Carolina Movement securitized. I don't, but the, the entities providing me liquidity do. And so it's really that component. And the second component is MSRs, mortgage servicing rights. And you, know, you, you also have many liquidity options there, or you may retain. And just depending where you see those, those economics, to Caroline's point, it may make sense to retain it for a while. And if you retain it for a while, then you build up a servicing book. And if you need liquidity, you can sell it if you need to. Uh, you know, where we are today, that's a strategy we want going forward. We're just not large enough yet to really retain uh, servicing. It's certainly an avenue we want to go down at some point. Um, but, you know, again, it's I think the most important thing is maintaining as much flexibility as you can as it relates to your assets. And and that that's, that's paramount to any mortgage banker, whether you're a subsidiary of a bank or you're IMB or a private equity company. I think managing risk and liquidity on the back end once a loan is originated makes a lot of sense and is how I think a lot of folks that aren't initiated in, the, in capital markets think of a secondary market team. But there seems to be a lot of strategic uh, integration and conversation at the front end in terms of how products are designed and priced and prioritized in, inside of a inside of an organization. So how do as capital markets leaders, how do you collaborate and integrate with the the leaders of your origination teams on making sure risk and liquidity is thought about at all stages of the the home lending process? Yeah, I, I will say that is a very good question. And, and, and I think, you know, any, anybody, um, that has dealt with this, you know, you've, you've got to have a good process, um, for movement. Um, you know, we actually have a product committee, um, that meets biweekly and, um, includes, you know, key leaders from our sales organization, uh, and other folks within the C-suite, um, along with our product team and investor relations team where we have the opportunity to bring forth any kind of new product opportunities that we see in the market or things that loan officers on the street have brought to us and saying, let's go find this. Um, you know, and what we do is we try to have, you know, really good information going into this meeting and being able to articulate what, what kind of need does this serve? What kind of volume potential does it serve? What kind of geo geographic, geographic regions does it serve? Um, 
and, and help us determine what is going to be the most important thing and in priority order. Because at the end of the day, you know, that we've always got a queue bit longer than I can even tell you. Um, and it's important for people to help us understand, you know, what is going to bring the most value, um, earlier and to most people in the organization and let's prioritize that way. And sometimes, you know, there's times when you need to do things that, you know, may seem like they're very niche, um, but you got to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it's important to have that kind of a process. I think in any organization, we also layer that with, we have a credit risk committee um, that kind of evaluates the overall credit risk of any kind of loans that we intend to originate um, and potentially retain on our balance sheet. So it's, it's, they're part and parcel uh, together. I mean, we have a lot of the same folks within the, within those, those two groups so that we understand, you know, our, our you know, even if we have liquidity to, to fund this type of loan, is it a type of asset that we want to retain on our balance sheet? Is it going to perform over time? You know, you have to think about all of those things. That's, that's really interesting. And I think the, the, the product committee up front makes a, a lot of sense and kind of gives our audience a glimpse into how you sit inside of the organization, Caroline. It, earlier, you, you mentioned a little bit about servicing and when mortgage banks decide to retain or, or sell servicing from the get-go. And that was a trend that we saw play out pretty prominently um, pre and during COVID. And we saw a lot of mortgage banks um, build up significantly larger portfolios of, of servicing rights. And then and many find um, liquidity for those servicing rights in the in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, can you tell us a little about little bit about how the market has influenced those decisions to to retain or release servicing and, and any other kind of cyclical trends which might be correlated there? Yeah. You know, that was a very interesting time. So movement um, at the onset of COVID really did not retain much of our MSRs. Um, we, it was really isolated to a few key programs, um, but it was a very immaterial volume. However, you know, prior to COVID, probably in the, the, the first month of 2020, we had actually been exploring opportunities and it was always something that our CEO wanted to do. He wanted to, you know, retain servicing because it's an important method to, um, you know, to recruit loan officers and to retain them because you have that customer for life, Right. Um, but you know, up until that time we had really sold a lot of that asset and, you know, and it's a great liquidity option because when you sell MSRs, usually in a co-issue or whole loan format, um, you know, you, that cash is in the door when you retain servicing that, that asset must be capitalized and you're not getting that cash right away. You're getting the cash as the borrower makes their payments. So, you know, it's a, a very different kind of, um, mentality from a finance perspective. So COVID hits, liquidity dries up. We were pretty much forced into the decision that we were already in the midst of making. Fortunately, you know, we, we had the opportunity to interview um, a number of uh, subservicers at the time and, you know, had found one that really kind of gelled with kind of our platform, what we were trying to do. We wanted private label branding. We wanted to recapture opportunities for our loan officers. So the, in the event that rates, you know, went down, we would have opportunities for refinance. So, um, that's kind of, you know, where we landed and really haven't left that space, you know, because it has become such an important part of our culture and our initiative and that customer for life. Now, with that being said, you know, we do have, you know, pockets of time where, you know, that we will sell some, some portion of our MSRs, but it's usually pretty limited. But, you know, I think all loan officers understand who have been in this business for a long time that, you know, there are times in, in the market where, you can't always make that commitment. And, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that can come and, you know, it's just something that, you know, again, going back to that, being able to pivot and being nimble is so critically important. Um, and being able to have all of those execution options at your fingertips, because if you need it, you need it. And Greg leading capital markets for a wholly owned mortgage bank of a depository, does your approach to, retaining or selling servicing differ at all from the, the scenario that Caroline described? In, in the short term, yes. Uh, you know, we're just not, we're not large enough yet to really retain service. Not that we don't understand the risk and want to actually uh, retain servicing. We, we understand we need to do that. Just from a risk perspective, we need to have the ability to do that today if we needed to. Caroline, what Caroline mentioned that when COVID happened, MSR bids went to zero or negative. 
which basically made every originator that wants to end the business retain servicing. You might as well book it at zero versus negative. And so it, it just kind of forced everyone's hand, which actually in hindsight was actually probably not a bad thing for the mortgage industry. It was a great thing for the industry. I mean, the the customer for life message was was out there and like ended up with some assets that um provided much needed cash at a at a certain time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And remember this. So so everyone was exposed to that. Whether you retain servicing or you lease servicing, your your effective servicing bid was zero. Um and so you know, and, and in isolation, it sounds like, well, Carol's Caroline said, you're not getting pay, paid the cash. Well, no one's paying you anything for the cash. So even if, even if you don't have that cash um, liquidity on day of sale, no one else does. So when from a competitive, when you're on the street going to your LOs from a competitive perspective, you're not losing anything because no one is pricing anything for servicing. And so it really gave folks that, wanted to stay in the game and they were thankful after like three weeks, they stayed in the game, assuming you got through all the margin calls. <laughs> you know, that, that was a really rapid, crazy, crazy, like in my career, that's about the craziest two or three weeks that I've ever seen in my career. I wasn't in the situation of what Caroline and Michael dealt with that movement, but I was certainly very, very well aware of it and, and certainly had a lot of peers reaching out to me about how to think through managing through that. And, and, and it really did help the mortgage company, today either have that servicing cash flow ability to offset the challenges we talked about early on expenses and gain on sale and allow you to continue to make money. Or if you need to build build up cash, you sell the servicing opportunistically. So to answer, we would love to do it, Clint. We're just not at the ability to, to actually do it. And, you know, I, I actually, we had a leadership coach that we all would know. I'm not going to mention his name. Talk about success at companies and you know capital markets do, does not get enough exposure for their role in not only providing products and liquidity but education to loan officers and these kind of things right here we're talking about today is all about education caroline and i are at that point in our career where it's like hey how do we mentor people and how do we educate but really the successful companies that really understand how to how to grow their their businesses it's around talent systems and culture and you can't, you have to have all three of those things to exist. And when I talk about systems, it's not technology systems. It's everything Caroline talked about process and procedures and just making sure you know how to operate within your own company. You can have the greatest talent, but if you have the worst systems, they're not going to stay around. I mean, that, 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 and, and from my perspective, and I think Caroline will echo this, that I think one of the things we can bring from a capital markets perspective is to spend time, you know, educating loan officers that, you know, capital markets isn't just this kind of black hole where pricing comes out and, oh, every secondary market guy will tell you your pricing sucks. Well, <laughs> the reality is we're all driven by the same markets. It's just really about how we manage our business. And so it's super, it's super important. And I think about talent systems and culture, not only holistically as a company, but in, sec- in secondary marketing. As I, as I build out my business, that's how I think about it. I know that's the way Carol looks about it. And so it's just, it's just really, I never really thought of it that way until I heard this gentlemen talk about the other day it really was it really made a lot of sense well i've always known you had to focus on education greg uh when i first joined housing wire um i i hope you remember this but but casey threw me in your office and said teach this kid secondary market so i, I remember a a very full whiteboard there wasn't much white space on that board after um you spent half an hour with me uh trying to show me how mortgage capital markets operate that's funny but the most important thing was caroline always reminded greg you're talking all these acronyms. You got to tell people what those acronyms mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would have a, a seminar with different loan officers and, you know, he would say something and I was, I'm, I'm like the interpreter. <laughs> this is what he really means. <laughs> but, you know, Greg has taught me all of the acronyms I've come. But Caroline Schreier says she's the brains behind the operations. <laughs> but yes, Clayton, I actually do remember that. Very, very good. We're, we're going to accompany this episode with um, some acronym definitions. So we'll, we'll bounce that Google Doc off, off y'all. You can uh, a- add a few to the, the definition board so we can educate the industry. But seriously, Greg, on the topic of education, I, I really like the direction you're headed in. And I'd love to hear um, about both of your organizations, about kind of culturally how you can and do educate loan officers and what, what your format is, what the interaction looks like. I, I'd love to kind of kind of get a view for like what capital markets education for originators done right looks like. Yeah, I'll take a 
kind of a smaller level and certainly kind of like expand on for, for movement. But, you know, from my perspective, that, that that's the heart of my passion is educating at this point. And so whether I'm doing that with one-on-one conversations with loan officers, or I'll get with our, our regionals and Greg, can you put together a 30 minute, what's going on economics, what's going on with the interest rate environment? Oh, well, why are mortgage rates so much worse than, than, than the 10 year or this, getting into really detailed conversation, but I'll spend time to put together presentations. And it doesn't stop with just the LO. It's really our customers, which are our employees outside of our loan officers and also our partners, realtors. And so if I, you know, one of the things I will tell my loan officers, if you, if you need me to come in and do a presentation on secondary market economics, I'm there all day long because everyone wants to be educated. Everyone wants to be a trusted advisor. And I know that Caroline feels this way. We feel like if we can give back a little bit more knowledge on the capital markets, which most people don't understand what the capital markets really are, they just understand they have an interest rate and a price, and that's about it. And so what I'm trying to do, and my role at Premise is, is really become that someone who can just educate and make secondary market really what it is. One plus one equals two. And it's really not that much different. They just throw all these mortgage-backed securities and MSRs and all this other kind of stuff and excess servicing that makes it sound a little bit more complex than it really is. But it's, it really is. It's simple math. And I really, really want to echo that we all, whether we're a really large $50 billion originator or a small $500 million originator, the derivation of how we produce pricing and capital markets is really pretty much the same. 100% right. <laughs> I mean, I will say, Greg, I mean, he's spot on. I mean, you know, with, with movement, I mean, we do have, you know, uh, monthly updates. Um, sometimes they're done via video. We have a lot of loan officers. Sometimes we have you know, broader video calls kind of, you know, talking about the state of the union, state of the market. Um, but we'll do regional meetings, market meetings, individual loan officer education. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you'll have a loan officer and they're watching, you know, MBS Highway and they're looking at UMBS prices on a specific coupon. And they're like, wait a minute, this rallied this much today. Why aren't you repricing? And it's like, well, you've got to educate them. I mean, the note rates that we're originating right now don't slot to that coupon. And um, and you have to kind of make them understand because at the end of the day, they've got to be able to convey that message in an easy way to their customers and um, help them understand. You know, it's, it's, it is important because, you know, they want to be educated. They want to be able to speak the, speak the, the lingo. And, um, you know, it is incumbent upon all of us in this industry to help them understand that. Um, you know, but we also, we have, you know, various ways that we also try to reach them through market updates that we do also via, you know, blast communications that not only go to them, but also can go to their, their realtors, uh, and partners in their communities as well. Um, you know, we have education series to help them understand new products or, or highlighting new products that we currently have and how to sell them. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, I will tell you though, it's, it's always been a challenge since I've been in this industry for 33 years to ensure that the loan officers know everything they need to know because the volume of information is so vast that, you know, there's just no way you can be expected to remember everything. So, you know, it's, it's just really coming back in and trying to highlight and focus on those things that are really going to help them, you know, in the current environment that they're in. So you mentioned MBS Highway and there's other services out there like MBS Live and Mortgage Market Guide and loan originators have a lot of sources of information on on the mortgage industry, pricing, capital markets. What what role does kind of the internal team, the capital markets leaders or corporate leadership play in that education process versus what originators get from kind of third party sources. And, um, you know, if you had your way of the perfect flow of information, like how, how would it, what would it look like, um, of what's coming from you, Caroline versus, um, versus third party sources? You know, I think honestly, I think, I think education coming at people from a multitude of ways is always a good thing because every person receives information differently. Some people like pictures, some people like words, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I remember Greg teaching me about G fees and what they meant a million years ago. And, you know, I don't, I don't think I got it. Carly, what's a G fee? So you just did it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, going through and trying to, teach no, 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 no. We're going to hold you to this, Caroline, explain G fee. We're going to, we're, we're doing this. 
So the guarantee fee is the fee that the agencies impose upon you um, that essentially is an implied guarantee of the, the performance of the underlying bonds for that loan that is being issued into that security. Very helpful. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like learning, but you know, sometimes you, you hear things a certain way and sometimes if someone says it a different way or in a different format, all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. So I, I think, you know, as many resources as you can get, probably the better off you are. Now, with that being said, sometimes people might get information that may not be totally accurate. Um, but, you know, that's that's the one risk you have when it's not coming, you know, all from your own group. But I, I, I think that it's important to have as much coming at folks as possible because they learn differently. Greg, what would you what would you say? Yeah, I, uh, it's so funny you said I was exactly going to say the same thing. There's a lot of really good, credible uh, information out there from very strong third parties who are really good at what they do. And they, uh, guess what? They're just trying to educate the same way Carolyn and I are. It just might be a different message. And I keep echoing on this. The, the derivation of all this information is basically off the same thing. It's, we're not making we're not making this up, you, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, Fannie, Freddie and, and you know, Ginny products, FHAVAs that, that really there's not there's not a lot of pricing differential there. It's really all about um, MSRs and margins that really that, that derive the ultimate pricing that the, the consumer would see. But, you know, when you start moving away from that, which I know Caroline is understands the the breadth of your product base. And maybe we talk a little bit about that. And, you know, you start getting into, you know, DSCR and another acronym, by the way, um, non-QM, et cetera. I mean, just, you know, there, there's this challenge we all have in secondary of maintaining the proper product breadth with understanding the risk of origination and, and retention of loan officers. So there's this, you know, we, we have loan officers. We don't want them to go anywhere. Yeah, we want to recruit them all day long, but we certainly, the, the folks we have, we don't want them to leave. So whatever we can do to make sure those folks have the proper tools. So when they're meeting with their partners, they you know, not only are a trusted advisor, but they have a deep product breadth. And that's, that's you know, as, especially now, uh, it's incredibly important is to offer, to have the ability to offer a variety of different products for, for, for premise specifically. I know you asked Caroline, you chat, you chat a little bit about portfolio. We do have portfolio products. It's not a massive amount, but we do have that as an, as, a, as an opportunity. You know, the banking crisis, quite frankly, has challenged all banks with liquidity issues. So, you know, where if you looked at the yield curve 18 months ago versus where it is today, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly different yield curve. And just the ability for banks to um, draw NIM is a lot more challenging now, which just means they don't have, you know, the appetite to add assets across all banks. Um, if we had this conversation 12 to 18 months ago, it'd be the exact opposite. Every bank wanted to add mortgage assets. Um, so, you know, and, and not to belabor this, but the challenge of having a broad investor base has been never been more important than it has been over the last 12 months. There are some very large, big names that we all know that have left the mortgage space to provide a ton of liquidity. Well, they left. And it was the right business decision, and that's fine. But the reality is, when you start having these larger entities leave, you have to have someone else to replace them. And you know, those are the things that keep me and Caroline up at night. Do do we have enough uh, investor liquidity? And uh, we see it. We, I mean, go back over the last six months, you can see the entities that have exited the space. They're major entities. All right, Greg, I think you're kind of leading us perfectly into the topic I, I hope to spend a few minutes on as we close out this episode of the Secondary Market Masterclass. But we're, we're recording this episode and early in the third quarter of, of 2023, over the last year, we've seen interest rates move more volatilely, fat, more quickly than we have at nearly any point in time. We're working in a, a lower inventory, and uh, which results in a, a lower volume mortgage market than I think many of us would like to see. So taking into account current market dynamics, where do you focus your energy right now to support premise and its growth objectives? And uh, I recognize that you picked a, a very favorable starting line um, <laughs> to, to, to growing this business. Um, but I'm, I'm also very interested in Caroline's objectives uh, uh, views here. You know, it's interesting. I mean, this is a challenging time, but you know, I, I always think challenges bring about opportunity. And so it's just, you gotta, you gotta have a 
you know, a tough soul to kind of work through some of the chaos we have today. But at the end, there's going to be opportunity. And, you know, and, and really we spend our time with partnerships and talking to um, investors. I'll talk investors specifically about, you know, counterparty risk and counterparty risk is real. And you're all of our investors. I'm sure this hits Caroline too on Fannie. They're all trying to understand they want you to be successful. We obviously want to be successful, but they need to make sure they're managing their risk so that if someone is not successful, they know how to manage through that process. And so, you know, it's 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 challenging today in that we get probably more questions than we've ever gotten. You know, we deal with as an industry, a lot of we'll just say repurchase requests as an industry has been has been a challenge. You know, quite frankly, agencies have gotten, you know, a little bit tougher as they've dug deeper uh, and understandably so they don't, they don't, they didn't forget about, Oh, wait, <laughs> it wasn't all that long ago. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's a challenge and, you know, and you want to talk about a really challenged liquidity is the scratch and debt market. So, you know, if we do a great, great job originating a loan, but we don't quite do the right quality and for whatever reason, the loan gets repurchased. Well, you originate that loan at to say par, you can now sell it at 70. You don't sell it like 95. You sell it at 20, 30 points down. And, you know, you know on a, a $500,000 loan, that's, you know, 100 grand. And, um, you know, that's that's very, very painful. And so you know, equally as important, I know Caroline focuses on this. You mentioned QC and credit. I mean, equally important to liquidity is credit and just making sure that you're, you're originating good quality loans. Um, you know, I'm actually speaking on a, a panel on Thursday. It's actually interestingly enough, all about liquidity. And one of the things that I want to focus on is that you, when you're in a, when you're in an environment that we're in today and all mortgages are incredibly cost conscious, they're looking at technology at, at ways to create efficiencies, but it's incredibly important to maintain your infrastructure and your staff that is underwriting loans and processing underwriting loans, because your biggest risk is if, you have repurchases because you didn't do that. You think you think losing a point or two on some liquidity issue is a problem? Try losing twenty or thirty or forty points. That 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 will eat you up incredibly fast. And so, you know that that's a lot. Of, that's a lot about what we think about. You know, we we have process. We have we have a risk meeting every every Thursday. We talk about risks that we see, incremental risk we're hearing from investors. Certain investors are doing different things on appraisals, for example, or whatever. I mean, we just. You really, really got to figure out how to manage your operational infrastructure to mitigate you know, your repurchase risk. Yeah, I don't know if I would disagree with anything that Greg just said. I mean, I, you know, I, I agree, you know, the, the repurchase um, situation at the moment for many lenders is, is, is more challenging probably than it has been. Um, you know, but you got to balance that, you know, because we're also, you know, the FHFA is mandating the GSEs to really help, you know, focus in on, on underserved communities, which we want to do. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, you got to balance the, the eligibility for those loans and the underwriting of those to ensure that that borrower really does have the demonstrated ability to repay the debt. Um, and it's not just those, but it's any kind of borrower. You got to make sure that, you know, you're putting people in homes that, that, that need to be in homes because not everybody does, you know, we want to make a mortgage for everyone that we can, but you, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're making the right decision on those loans and putting those borrowers in the best circumstance that you possibly can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things that's important, but, you know, again, you know, I think it, it all keeps coming back to liquidity and making sure that, you know, you can support the loan officer community now, you know, when, when supply has been so tight and, you know, it's just finding unique products that help, you know, you know, borrowers get into home and help us compete with maybe other institutions that have a balance sheet, you know, it's, it's, it, and it's finding those little niche investors in certain markets that can really help, help you out, you know, where, you know, you probably didn't need as much of that before. Um, it's something that I think a lot of lenders have had to really kind of explore, you know, I, I may be selling loans to, you know, a smaller institution that can only take a very small subset of business, but, you know, it helps us get that one or two additional loans. Yeah. We've seen the, the trend of originators consuming product related information on housing wire can continue to pop. So anything that, we're writing about 
non-QM or investor products or self-employed products or even reverse mortgages, um, we see a lot of originator interest and which tells me they are, you know, o- open to learning about new products, but also stretching to, to, to serve their realtor partners and serve borrowers and, and just harder scenarios than they needed to in, in past years. So, Caroline, and one last follow up as we wrap up at, in a in a market where scratch and dent, you know, is is so discounted, and we're also in a in a mortgage environment where lenders have been looking at operational roles as one of the the cost centers that needs to be reduced in a lower volume market. How do you ensure that you're maintaining quality and processing and underwriting and risk at the same time as potentially needing to do so with a with a smaller team? And maybe that's Maybe that's just there's less loans, so it works just fine. But I'm kind of curious of how you think about like risk and staffing and how those two things uh, move together. Yeah, I will tell you, you know, because on the on the quality control front, um, the woman on my team, Tracy Harding, who is fabulous, who runs this group, um, probably one of the sharpest mortgage minds I've ever met. Uh, incredible credit risk background. Um, she has done a tremendous job, and we haven't really reduced staff per se, um, within that group, because it is important. We do focus on quality and, you know, there's certain mandates in terms of the percentages of loans that you must review by investor requirements. And we typically go over, but, you know, she takes it a step further. She has, you know, created partnerships within our ops organization and the training organization to really have the strong feedback loop to really kind of, you know, highlight areas of opportunity um, and, and and help develop curriculum that helps people. And, and sometimes it's, it's not even just the, the, the operation staff. It's sometimes it's even going down to the loan officer level and helping educate them on, you know, what, what kind of loans, you know, are things that are important to look for when you're originating a loan. Um, and, you know, I will say, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see because, you know, we, we have seen, you know, this, this, this wonderful, uh, improvement in quality. And, and, you know, it's, 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 and I think people appreciate it. Um, it, you know, you think that loan officers may not potentially like that, but, you know, I think that, you know, we're, we're balancing risk well, making the right loans, um, but also mitigating the risk and ensuring that those borrowers have the ability and capacity to repay the debt. Excellent. Caroline, Greg, thank you so much for your generosity with your time and expertise today. I, I learned a ton from this conversation. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I was taking notes through through half of it. Um, I hope our audience took away half as much as I did in this conversation. It was an excellent glimpse into the role that each of you as capital markets leaders plays inside of your broader organizations, ensuring that there's liquidity, nimbleness, and risk management. Thank you both. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please take a few seconds to rate Housing News on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot for the show, and we really do appreciate and listen to your feedback. Also, we're gearing up for Housing Wire Annual in October please visit housingwire.com forward slash events for full details about our big annual event in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm.